0: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Week in Horror. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. The podcast that deep dives all the films you love. You gotta be fucking kidding. The week they dropped in horror history. We all go a little mad sometimes. With your horror hosts. they here. JL. When a shirtless Sam Elliott with no mustache takes out a, an alligator with, a, uh, with an oar, that's the kind of movie I'm looking. Eugene. And we're just casually just
1: like yeah, so that's probably the best way to go, light someone on fire with Casal Alex.
0: It would not be an original lineup if I didn't have fucking technical <laughs> Johnny O. Now it's not an Amityville. Or where was it's, it's Mammyville? And Aaron. They, they got manure to work with and nothing grew from it. <laughs> News, trailers, trivia, special guests, and more. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Live show every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central at youtube.com slash week in horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! And wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: One by one, we will take you.
0: Week in horror. <laughs> Stay Scared.
1: Welcome, welcome, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time, and that means it's time for another episode of the Weekend Horror Podcast, the only podcast that would like you to kindly undo these straps.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what that's from, right? No. from The Exorcist. Oh, if you can kindly undo these straps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm the the devil. And would you kindly undo these (laughs) straps?
1: And if you, dear horror fanatics, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember, we do this live every Wednesday right here on YouTube. Come hang out with us and see all the stuff our editor doesn't want you to see. This week, Recovering Select Horror Films released February 5th through February 11th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm Eugene, and with me tonight is JL.
0: Good evening, good evening. Yes, all the stuff our editor, editor doesn't want you to see, like Johnny-O popping in midstream just to say hi and uh, disrupt the proceedings. But no, he's he's uh, somewhere crying in his bed tonight because he got the dreaded sicky-sicky, so he, he'll be, I guess he's listening in. I think he said something in the live chat. He says, yeah, he's lurking in and out of coma mode. So yeah, he's he's got to, he's got the man the man cold. <laughs> man cold, man cold sucks. Man cold is terrible. <laughs> oh man. So many cool things, so many cool things uh, and something I, and a couple things I wanted to chat with uh, chat with the live chat about. But how is everybody doing? Good to see everybody. Let's get this banner up here. Uh, well, actually, for before we do that, we have one big announcement we have to make. So we want to welcome, we give you a big formal welcome, the big announcement that we have a new patron for the week uh, who has joined the Weekend Horror Patreon family. We appreciate it very much. Welcome, Paracord Princess, to the yeah! Weekend Horror Patreon family. Thank you so much for your support, Paracord. Thank you. We appreciate that. Big thank time. You so,
1: thank you so much, Paracord Princess. We greatly appreciate it.
0: Big time, big time. Without your so, it's our patrons who help us to make this show possible. So whether it's a $1 tier or all the way up to the $6 tier, we appreciate every single one of y'all. Y'all help us to do this and all those cool prizes that we give away. That's where that goes. Is of course, all the cool additional stuff like the special guest judges and the early access content. So all that stuff is because of you patrons. You, you guys make that possible. So thank you. And I see uh, Eugene, you're broadcasting from the set of Paranormal Activity 9. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You'll probably see that door, the closet door, creaking in the background. Just ignore it; it does it from time to time.
0: Nice, nice. Well, it's also kind of strobing. The light is kind of like strobing behind you, so it definitely looks uh, definitely looks like you like you're in, on the set of a haunted house. <laughs> I
1: like to keep. I like to keep it creepy. Not only do I like to make horror films, I like to live inside of them too.
0: Induce a little epilepsy in there as well. It's all good. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> you just, <I'm> like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> All right, let's see who we got tonight Let see who is in the live chat before we dive into our stuff. I see Tony regime is here. good to see you Tony Regime. Says, Where is everybody? We are here, sir. Good to see you. thanks so much for being here. Cindy Johnson as well. Good evening, Cindy Johnson. Doctor Who designs here. says hello. Good to see you Dr. Who? And I see Travis Brown is in the house. says good evening horror geeks. Good to see you Travis, another one of our huge uh, supporters. Thank you Travis. And like one of our one of our trivia champions when we do uh, horror movie Trivia Night. Uh, During the after dark sessions, although Travis Travis had a knockdown drag out with Johnny O on this last trivia session For those who are patrons you have early access to that so you can check that out It's available on patreon right now It will be available everywhere else a month later But you can hear it It got it got it got bloody and it got salty it was quite entertaining but Travis put up a fight and uh, And Johnny put up a fight like the best I've ever seen which is crazy because apparently Johnny's sick right now So it means he might have been sick While he was like, maybe he has to be ill in order to put up a fight, I don't know. (laughs) Brian Powell is here. Good to see you, Brian. Uh, Thanks so much for being here. Casey Cooper as well. Says, well met all you sicko horror geeks. My kind of people. Good to see you, Casey. Joshua Lee as well. Another one of our big supporters. Thank you, Joshua, for hanging out. Sarcasm is here. Says, good evening, fellow fiends. Good to see you, Sarcasm. Angel Rivera is in the house. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. There's plot hole lurking in the background. Sally Skellington is here. Good to see you, Sally. And ivy gentry as well thanks so much for hanging out paracord princess just says just got here did i miss anything no you did not and i hope you heard the big announcement thank you so much for joining the uh the patreon family we appreciate your support there yes thank awesome. you awesome uh, oh Plothole says don't make me hop on and take a shit all over you you wouldn't you can't shit on the movies and on us it's one or the other okay because you, you only, you you only got one sh- load
1: that's it <laughs>
0: one- Either save it for the movies or for us. Otherwise, you know what are you gonna do? Yeah, he's got man flu. Damn straight, para, para, uh, paracord princess. He's got man flu. Rodent no last name is here. It says he has snot beard. It jumped on me. i <laughs> on gonna say it jumped on me a little bit. rodent no last name snot beard. It says it's probably true. Good to see you wrote it, and gabba gab to you, sir. Travis Brown says I'm doing good. Oh, been napping all day. Uh, which is better than sleeping. Uh, oh, yeah, this is true. kind of dozed off in the bloodbath debate. But we got it sorted out because Angela took on Eugene in the latest bloodbath debate, and it was the Negan it was Negan versus the governor. And the first time we've done some Walking Dead, uh, Walking Dead characters. And both of y'all put up a good fight. And of course, if you if you have early access, you you know it's it's available on Patreon right now. So be sure to comment on the outcome of that, because I don't think it's what people... I, I, actually, no, you know, people expect it. I think people kind of no, expect
1: No, no, just, just, just let them go and watch.
0: Okay, let, let them go listen to it, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Good, good. Let me see what we got. Boom, boom, And... Nemo 813. Good to see you, Nemo 813. You know, Travis Brown's or Poltergeist 4. Yeah, he's got that creepy background going on. These films need shitting over. They sarcasm, they do not. There's some good ones here. Come on, man. But we'll get into it. Johnny's not here, so I can do my usual kind of like artistic diatribe without him interrupting my ass. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, big time, big time. Let me see. Oh, there's Elizabeth Sylvester. Good to see you, Elizabeth. Another one of our longtime supporters. Thank you so much for being here. And DeNova28. Hope things are going well for you, bud. Hope you're feeling a little bit better. Good to see you. Thanks for hanging out uh, during this past weekend for the After Dark and the Bloodbath. Nana is here. Says, hi, everyone. Good to see you, as well as Javier Hara and Nana, one of our big supporters. Thanks so much, Nana. And I think I got everybody. Wow, I got through it quick this time. I'm getting better at that. I am. Yeah, I'm wait till we have like everyone. 500 people listening. Oh, that, would, that would be rough. Rode Los Angeles Last Names says, the Eugene Witch Project. Dig it. Absolutely. It's very creepy over there, dude. It really, really is.
1: This is my this is see, this is my you have like method actor, so you have a method director. So so I have to keep it like creepy and kind of like have a couple of weird things going on. I'll just let their camera roll
0: in the background. Sweet. It's definitely early Blumhouse quality that you got going on there, which is really, really cool. cool, Uh, we just say sure, JL. Ignore, I'm here. I said hi. Oh, I guess I missed Raven Darkstar. Good to see you, Raven. Sorry, sorry if I missed you. I apologize. I I thought I got everybody. My bad. And apparently, oh, Nana says got to mute on anything about TWD about uh, the Walking Dead. And then, of course, someone else said something. <clears throat> Johnny O deserves the win because of his bitching about questioning of the Blob's weakness. I. That's an old reference, I think, to an old one. But uh, Sir says I'm going to carry Johnny's banner for him since he's all ill today. Oh, someone did comment that. You know, I'm. Uh, Jay, uh, Casey said I'm going to threaten to ramble on for hours. It's not going to be for hours. It's just going to be for the time that Johnny would normally be here trying to interrupt me and telling me to shut up. So th- that's what he typically does. But uh, now I can I can kind of wax artistically about some of the films. <laughs> one of them not so much there's the one that you know which one i'm talking about oh, there's no so waxing bad. poetic about that piece of it's shit
1: no 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 we'll, we, <laughs> we'll, we'll get, get to it all yeah, right
0: i already already have my comments ready for it so uh, first and foremost i found this to be really really interesting like um he can wax yikes <laughs> uh so the first thing oh, i found this really really interesting so this came across the board now we talked at length in the past, about Blumhouse's uh, upcoming remakes of stuff. So Blumhouse has you know, really got the ball rolling on some big, you know, big uh, budgeted productions. They did the Halloween trilogy, and of course we got when they were remaking Firestarter, and of course remaking Christine. And so an interesting thing came across the wire, which I want to kind of want to get people's opinion. Good to see you, Cindy Sue. Thanks so much for being here. Um, so the Razzies, the Razzies, the, the kind of like the the. The anti Oscars is what it is for the worst performances and all that stuff. And of course, you know some epic Razzies in the past, have been like you know Sharon Stone and I think for Sliver, and then of course like you know um, Halle Berry for Catwoman, shit like that. But apparently, the Razzies got in trouble this past week because they nominated Ryan Armstrong, the lead actress in the lead actress in Firestarter. She's twelve years old. Nominated her for a Razzie for for uh, worst actress and apparently the backlash went after him and they quickly rescinded that and then changed the rules so that nobody um who is under 18 can be uh nominated for a Razzie yeah but, you can't, you uh, can't no.
1: pick on a kid um I mean I, this is the thing the Razzies are fun they really are they're fun and I also appreciate any celebrity that actually shows up because Holly Berry accepted her razzie she actually showed to the ceremony accepted it had a speech and everything and which shows she is, has a sense of humor about it and she can carry on so i respect any celebrity that actually attends because most don't but and the the razzie is being a huge joke but you cannot go after children because it's just it, you, you're taking somebody who's, like, just starting off. You have somebody, as like I said, limited options for roles. And on top of that, they're a kid. And it's, like, it's kind of like, here, here's the acting community. You suck as an actor. We're going to nominate you and, like, shove it in your face to a 12-year-old girl.
0: It's pretty brutal. It's brutal. It yeah, It definitely brutal. is brutal. And I was, you know, I wanted to, I was looking at this because, um... So Ryan Kira Armstrong, uh which she's I mean, despite the fact that, you know, she was in uh Firestarter, she was the lead in Firestarter, she's kind of a veteran when it comes to performance. She's done I mean, she was in uh It Chapter Two, she was in Black Widow, she was in the Tomorrow Wars, you know, she, she uh The Glorious, The Art of Racing in the Rain. She's also done uh, television as well. Um she was in American Horror Story Double Feature, one of those. So She's, she's been around a minute and has worked with some really top... She's a part of the MCU. She's worked with some top-notch directors, and she's got more movies on the way, like The Old Way, which is uh, with Nick Cage, and then, of course, Wildflower, um, which is a coming-of-age drama. So it's not like she you know she's like fresh as far as the industry goes. Now my curiosity is let's say, so. This is where I kind of wanted to get the the live chat's opinion because I see your opinion. Your opinion that is that you know she's twelve, don't don't swing sticks at twelve year olds. It's not it's it's unbecoming. Although the Razzies is all in good fun. So being that she's in Hollywood, major motion you know major motion pictures, big uh, marketed uh, movies, uh, Firestarter was meant to be like a major uh, tentpole. Mm-hmm. So. But, but she, she gets the, she gets the kind of the past because she's 12, but she's in this, her parents put her in this. She, she, she acquiesces. I mean, you're going to get, you know, people shit all over the movie anyway, because the movie was terrible, but should we shield her from that? Or is that kind of like the kind of changing in our culture?
1: Well, plus on top of that is, listen, she knows the movie's bad.
0: She probably, <laughs> she, she does.
1: She probably knew at some point during production because she's been in good stuff. And she's probably read the reviews and has had all those meetings stuff that, hey, the meeting was bad. It's a misstep in her career and move on. Um, And a lot of it is kids starting off. Being a child actor is hard enough as it is when you hear so many stories of so many, like Corey Feldman and so forth and so forth throughout the community. And then to have like the audience shit on top of you, too. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's really it's, it is it's really hard, and we sit back and we wonder why so many child stars become messed up, like Macaulay Culkin, because of how rough it is on your mental state, and you're not ready for it. So it's like, why make it harder when they're 18 and they're an adult and plus on top of that we don't know how much is maybe her choice and how much is her parents choice like because we see a lot of child actors maybe the parents pushed them into it or Uh sometimes they just want to do it on their own so what if she is somebody who parents pushed her into and then she gets this on top of it like it's it can do so much more damage for nothing more than like a joke it's just not worth it
0: good point excellent point for their mental health and that child actors are their their schedules are brutal enough and you know putting a child through the rigmarole of what adults have to go, what we have to go through with, you know, whether it's not just shooting the picture, but you know, the, uh, the entire audition process, which is absolutely fucking brutal. And then the entire shooting the film, which can be also brutal in and of itself, especially one like that, where, you know, it's particularly dangerous You know she basically went through the same thing that drew barrymore went through when she was that young and then of course promotion of the material she's got to go out there she i mean that shit is that that that, will hammer you will hammer a kid and then put him to the same critical kind of through through the critical ringer that we put adult actors through like we put halle berry through and everything although halle berry is an oscar-winning actress Not all projects are equal, and so not all performances are equal, and so that's why she got a Razzie, but she was happy for it. So I can see protecting the child, protecting the child's mental, uh, kind of their mental health, and not contributing to the difficulties that the industry already, all the problems that industry stack on kids who are getting, who are uh, like trying to, you know, build their careers. So I totally get that. Um, no need to add to it because there's already enough uh, harm uh, harm that's crazy, yeah, it's crazy harm out there. I was kind of like I, as a kid even at 12, I can imagine it was like just kind of like it's like this is awesome. just take any award you can get. just be like, hey, it's all good as because seeing it as a potential for a sign of maturity in that respect, I felt like they uh, I would think that would have been cool and I she never commented. She's never issued a public comment mm-hmm. on it being rescinded and then the rules changing. So we never got her take on that. It would have been hilarious to hear. She's like, like, fuck no. Let me get up on that stage and take that. That's hilarious. Let me take that because it's great. Because, you know, no news is – the only bad news is no news. And so we never got her take on that. So this kind of culture push, instead of hearing from her, this kind of culture push may have taken that away from her. So that was –
1: Uh And on top of her not issuing a comment, it could also be a safety or kind of have something kind of keep basically safety from the public eye, because if she she would either issue one or two statements, you either say, oh, it's a joke. or I take it in good fun. And then people can go, well, maybe she's not serious in her career because of her age. Maybe she's not taking this, which could hurt or she could go hey uh this did hurt my feelings i really tried really hard i did the best i could i know it wasn't good but this really hurt and then the public goes oh well, she's so sensitive she shouldn't be a child actor uh-huh. she can't handle it so it's like no matter what she did someone's going to spin it in a negative way so it may be best just not to say anything
0: well we definitely see that the culture has changed because the backlash came like swift the, the online backlash was hardcore and immediately it was like within like 12 hours they reversed position and they eliminated it and rescinded the nomination and of course changed the rules that no one uh, no one under 18 will ever be not well you have to be 18 or up to be nominated for a Razzie so we see that, you know, I just kind of want to get people's opinions on that. Uh, and it was an excellent point that Eugene made there. And I want to hear what the live chat thinks about this. You know, like the culture in itself having an effect on the industry and dictating what the industry can and cannot do. Even in, you know, even in the spirit of fun and lightheartedness. Um, did they go too far? Did they not go too far? Where Which side do you kind of fall on this? Can you see both sides? I want to hear what y'all think as well. We do. Uh, so let us know. WeekendHorror at gmail.com. Or, of course, in the comments down below, you know, what you think of this. And the kind of the future of the public having this kind of effect on the industry it's just like like could there be an effect on awards ceremonies in the future you know where you have multiple young actors up for a particular reward or up for a particular award but there's only the the only one person can win it what does that do to them considering they gave their all and they didn't get the you know they didn't get their achievement so it kind of swings both ways in that respect do we stop anyone who's under 18 from ever being nominated for an, for an oscar or ever being well, nominated he, for
1: not necessarily because even being nominated is a rewarding of itself plus it Boost your career. No one goes. This is the person who lost the Oscar to starring in their film. They always go, "Hey, Academy Award nominated, Academy
0: Academy Award nominated." Yeah, yeah. And and so I would say my name. I I would say Razzie Award nominated. I would do that, but I lost it, which means I'm not the worst.
1: But, but the, in terms of the culture as a whole, we're already kind of starting to see change because if you look at the Oscar nominees for, like for Best Picture, there are some films that normally wouldn't, like Top Gun Maverick, mm-hmm. the Oscars haven't nominated a film like that in who knows how long. And now Top Gun Maverick is a fantastic film and it definitely deserves it. But we're kind of seeing where the Oscars have nominated a couple of kind of bigger blockbuster films, which they typically didn't do simply because when the Oscars nominate a bunch of obscure obscure films, their ratings drop. They don't get the attention. True. They've had the Oscars have had the lowest ratings for like ever. Or at least in the last like 20 years
0: yeah i think i think the the culture is changing people just starting to see it for what it kind of is it's kind of just a big circle jerk and you know it's whoever spends whatever studio is willing to spend the most money in order to nominate a particular because the 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 millions of dollars that go into marketing for a particular for a particular movie the money the money plays a role and it's it's getting to the point where i think people are especially the public are beginning to understand that it's literally pay to play Nobody has an interest in pay to play, and if if it's just going to be I I spend a shit ton of money and I'm going to get I get nominated, then I spend a shit ton of money in order to win it, in order to make the Academy happy. Then what the hell is the goddamn point? The same thing. I remember the first time I was ever nominated for an acting award, and I've been nominated many times, and I haven't. I you know I can say I've never won. But I know why I haven't won, and that's because the other when I found out, and I stopped doing it because the first time I was I was nominated, I was like, oh my god, I'm so excited. But then I found out that you have that you had to market yourself, you had to go out there and network and market yourself as as a nominee in order to try and get the win. And I was like, why? If I'm good, just give it. And then I then I found out later, it's kind of like actually at the time I didn't have a beard, which is hilarious. Um, but then I found out after the fact, it was like. Well, pretty much the nominations, everyone just gets nominated, and it's whoever spends the most money or is the most popular is the one who gets the award. I was like, well, I'm not interested in a popularity contest. I want to be, I want to win an award because I'm fucking good. But, so I kind of gave my, threw my hands up. So, but it shouldn't be about winning awards anyway. So, it's about having fun. It's about making movies, telling stories. So, let me see what the live chat is saying here. A bunch of stuff. Oh, people! Yeah, yeah. Plot holes got the got the man flu. Absolutely. Yeah. Cindy Sue says, "Leave the kid alone." Got that. Wrote it. No last name mm-hmm. says, but I'll say, "Leave kids out of it unless the Teen Choice Awards have a worse category." That's something there. That could be interesting. Casey Cooper says, "Hey, teacher, leave them kids alone." <laughs> <laughs> plot says, yeah, t- uh, "Yeah, look at what the Star Wars community did to Jake Lloyd." Good point. Good point. Don't need to don't need to add fuel to the fire in that respect. Sandy yep. Sue says adult actors have problems accepting rejection. Don't shit on a kid. Yeah, I could I could sure. definitely agree with that. Absolutely. And let me see. Tony Regime says, look at the cycle of uppers and downers that Judy Garland was on as a child actress. Absolutely. Back in back then, there was no regulation. They worked kids damn near to. I mean, the stories that the stories that the original little rascals could tell you. You know, but those old school interviews when they were adults are just freaking merciless, you know, because that, that was the industry then. No regulation. No one gave a shit. It was all about, you know, you know, draining every dollar you could out yep. of a star before they lost potential and then uh, get rid of them.
1: So, I mean, you have somebody like Judy Garland who, I don't know, someone mentioned earlier, I mean, put her in an early grave and she was told that she should start smoking to because a lot of the sponsors of cigarette brands back in that day so they yeah. basically she for her to get work she had to start smoking early grave
0: sucks yeah that sucks all right but definitely let us know what you think i see mystique tina jones is here good to see you mystique thanks so much for uh coming and i see christo kernium is says hi jl and hey eugene good to see you bud thanks so much for being here um Javi O'Hara says we can horror it guys in the spirit of one of the movies for tonight we'll say let it go, let it go wait wait a minute wrong movie <laughs> wrong movie. there's actually <laughs> a funny joke there, but um and know oh, apparently there was a roast of Bruce Campbell recently, which I did I didn't hear about but um it probably slipped by me. Good point Angel Rivera, Shirley Temple is another example absolutely
1: yeah the story she has yeah
0: yeah it drove Shirley Temple to run for office. horror <laughs> Casey <laughs> Cooper Good point. All right, definitely let us know what you think about that. It's kind of an interesting thing that came along in the industry. Um, let us know in the uh, comments below or WeekendHorror at gmail.com. And the second thing is this is really, really cool. So this just came out this week. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Have you seen it?
1: Uh, I saw the teaser. It was like the spot during like the football game, something like that. But I haven't seen the full trailer yet.
0: Okay, so um, the new trailer for a horror film called The Boogeyman has come out, and the full trailer is out, and, uh, this is based on his short story that was published back in the 70s in, uh, Night Shift as part of his collection. I originally, I think it was published in, like, Cavalier, and then, of course, it was published in Night Shift, um, in his collection, in his Night Shift collection, and, uh, it's been a long time, uh, for this one to get made, but it has been made, and I am super freaking excited about it, because it looks cool as shit, uh, directed by Rob Savage and, uh, Scream uh, looks like a lot of people, uh, got attached to this. And a lot of the work has gone into this. So here's hoping that this turns out to be a really, really excellent. one. Well, we brought the trailer here for you to check out. Let's check this trailer out. Mention Stephen King. Yeah, it's, yeah based upon his short story. So let's see it. For those who haven't seen it, here is the trailer for Boogeyman. On oh, my birthday! <laughs> it comes out my birthday. It's fucking sweet.
1: <laughs> so... first first impressions of the trailer is it looks like it shot extremely well um the cinematography looks fantastic it seems like it relies on a lot of jump scares and i i'm weary on the story like i'm really really weary on the story because it, it can be a solid premise the boogeyman is real and i think there's already a boogeyman film that came out i think ten or fifteen years ago. There's a
0: trilogy that came out. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It was like yeah. I I remember that because like the first one had like the 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 it's
1: like one of the kids Smallville, from Seventh. Right?
0: No no it wasn't Thomas it wasn't Tom Well it wasn't Tom Welling. It was um one of the I think it was the the like the, the eldest kid from Seventh Heaven and Emily Deschanel. Okay, yeah. It was like yeah. the original. It was like the original one, yeah. Uh so like I unless
1: it's maybe maybe it's just a poor trailer should trying to get attention a lot because of just the way trailers are today if it has a, a overly reliance of jump scares that could be a sign of a weak story
0: that's possible entirely possible um i have to agree with um what was it says just the cinematography has got my interest and it really does yeah you know, the camera work and it looks the camera work the, the, and the camera lighting flip works. right it's really really cool um i love the way that i love the way it's shot Uh, i I can already see just from the trailer itself i can see a lot of inspiration from the people from the producers and the minds that were behind stranger things a lot of that crew was probably utilized over in this production so they get a lot of the same kind of tat you know like uh interesting cool camera camera stuff that they do there so i'm looking forward to that um i'm a huge stranger uh, stranger things fan i can't wait for the final season coming up um and I like that these kind of minds have come together. So it feels very, it, it's almost kind of like Show in the respect where we had, you know, Romero and King together. And, you know, so, and, and Savini Romero, uh, King and Savini together, you know, which was just, you know, gold. This one we've got like from the mind of Stephen King was uh, with Rob Savage directing, you know, the producers and the minds behind Stranger Things. A lot of excellent talent coming in. This is how David Malkian, uh in the uh, trailer. He's always awesome. In fact, he was. If you remember him from Ant Man, he was the uh, Russian dude from Ant Man. <laughs> <laughs> he's been. I, I've loved him and everything I, ever since. Ever since he was in uh, uh, The Dark Knight, when he was the dude that Harvey Dent uh, tortures. To yeah, get the where he's MP. like he has a name tag. Yeah, right. So ever since he was in that, I've loved him and everything I've seen it. But I loved him the most in Ant Man uh, in Ant Man Two when he was just like uh, the, the scene when he has the truth serum is just fucking fantastic. when his friend <laughs> has the truth serum is amazing. So, but he's such a fantastic actor and I can't Barry Watson was his name. Thank you, uh, Barry Watson's Boogeyman. That's right. And then, that was actually a trilogy. There were three films in that franchise. So, But this one's based off the Stephen King novel, so if you're looking forward to the new Boogeyman coming out this year, let us know in the comments below. Of course, a week in horror at Gmail.com if you are or are not looking forward to it. But it's one of the big horror movies that's coming out this year. It uh, should be really, really good. So, fingers crossed.
1: Hopefully it's good. I'm hoping it's surprising. Like, a, like it's better than what it appears.
0: Absolutely, I'm hoping so. You know, I I, I like it. I don't like anything from Stephen King. So the Netflix stuff that got made, like the adaptation of Gerald's Game, and of course the adaptation of what is that? Um, 1923 was the was. I always screw up the the year on that. Was it twenty 1923?
1: Yeah, it is but 1923.
0: The one with Thomas Jane.
1: Yeah. It was like it was
0: like the, the it was like the Depression era farmer.
1: I believe so. I was. I'm pretty sure someone in the comment section will confirm that.
0: Oh yeah, they're probably going to. That's going to bug me. Oh, I can't remember what the fuck. I was. Uh, I was thinking about looking up, but yeah, I can't. I can't recall it. But uh, but I liked that one. So oh, Casey Cooper said just bought King's Fairy Tales, Supposed to be a great book. Looking forward to reading it myself when I get the opportunity. Time is you know time is pressed. So we have many many things going on in the background here. Some big stuff coming up. Um, but we you know, all of us are crazy busy. So we don't have, like, you know, Eugene and I don't have time to get sick and take time off. <laughs> 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 <sighs> yes, time to read is scarce, but always try and make time to read. Always try and make time to read something, you know, to read anything. And especially love, you know, K- kink still pop, you know, popping out book after book and they're all fucking good except you know and you know george r r martin can't seem to write a sentence to save his goddamn life so
1: yeah that's very very true <laughs> i Desirbing feel like he just deletes so. his book like every once in a while like he'll get like halfway through nah. delete
0: <laughs> when he looked when he looked stephen king dead in the eye he was like how the fuck do you write so fast he's like because i'm good at it. <laughs> I just know. he didn't say that but you can see the look on his face uh because i'm a writer because i'm a good writer so <laughs> uh, 1922 thank you very much uh angel Rivera. 1922 came out in 2017 i thought that was a fantastic adaptation so
1: oh yeah because 1923 is the the uh yellowstone scene. The yellowstone that's right yeah 1923 yeah. and 1883
0: yeah Absolutely. Rhode L. says, "Do you think they cut the trailer to hook audiences that expect jump scares galore? Maybe. See they that might. that
1: that's one of my, that's one of the things that now if you watch with trailers, trailers have that little quick insert, hmm. real quick, and before the trailer even starts, because they have to catch people's attention where they're scrolling through on Facebook or whatever." And so that's that's what they use now. So I'm wondering if maybe maybe that's all the jump scares in the entire film, but they pack them together just to grab people's attention.
0: Yeah. Uh DeNova says I have an original copy of Four Past Midnight. Fan, oh, that's awesome. My kind of Stephen King claim to fame, I have I have two. I have a first edition copy of The Gunslinger, and I found actually my wife found this for me, which I thought was cool. So I have a first edition copy of the Gunslinger. That's over in my kind of like the safe area. In my office, and then of course my wife found this, which I thought was neat, which is the the audio cassette audiobook of Dolores Claiborne. Nice. So like like analog tapes to listen to in the car. <laughs> I don't know if I have the compa- the ability to play this, but they're all in mint condition. They have the, the tapes haven't even been pulled out of their slots, so they still have the 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 silver tape that's on them. So. They haven't been touched. So this was bought and never touched. Like, never pulled out and listened to. So this has been untouched, and it's hilarious because this sold. Like, the, the price tag is still on this bad boy. It originally retailed for 32 bucks, and this sucker sold for $75. And my wife found it for, like, 5 bucks, And I was like, got to get this. So I found That would be really cool. Because Dolores Claiborne is one of my fucking favorite uh, yeah. stories. Oh, so amazing. Not just the book, but the movie as well because, you know, Kathy Bates is legend.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. Now you got to find an actual cassette player.
0: I do so I can actually listen to it. Um, cuz the the uh it who was it? It was fucking uh um Francis Sternhagen did the uh did the uh, the audio recording. So if if I remember correctly, I looked that up. Francis Sternhagen, which some people in the live chat may remember. Francis Sternhagen was um Cause she, uh, no, she's still alive. Yeah, she's ninety three. Um, people will remember her. She was in misery. She was, she was in misery. She was the the sheriff's uh, wife mm-hmm. in misery. So, uh, people may remember from other stuff because I think she was in like the Closer and she, uh, and she, I think she she uh, did Outland with Sean Connery. So, like legendary actress legendary character actress but that was one of the small things that she did she's been kicking ass for a long time but she did the audio recording for that book so so i'm really looking forward to hearing that one day
1: yeah that's really cool or just dig or just get a digital copy of it
0: yep uh Pilato says unlike cushy writers the rest of us have to actually put real work in filmmaking ha 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 <laughs> eat my ass with a spoon <laughs> okay and then gosh of fire is here good to see you gosh of says hello there you sexy beast thanks so much for being here bud sally Sally Skellington says, Johnny, I was quite fired up tonight. Yeah, pretty fired up for someone who's sick. <laughs> Sir, says, Sir says, I have the Dark Tower box set. I have owned it one time or another every King book before Gerald's game. Awesome. Very cool. Um, I have an original copy of Stephen King that I cloned in my basement. It's not a good copy, so it has to remain chained up. <laughs> That's horrible. It's wrote in the last day. That's terrifying. Uh, let me see. Uh, says, notice how some people, JL, likes to throw shade, but those same people, JL, can't sit under the umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. A lot of of
1: comments coming from the (laughs) sidelines.
0: A lot of commentary from from over there, from the peanut gallery, my friend. (laughs) All right. Man, okay, so we've got some horror movies to talk about tonight. All right. So, uh... Given that, given the trade off, the way we do this, so I'll I I, I could take the first one, and move on to you. We can go back and forth that way. Well, uh, oh, pardon me. No, I'm not. I'm not no, okay, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, I was but, like, I
1: already got the, I already got the first one pulled up, if we.
0: No, we well, yeah I can go ahead and run it down just, okay. you know, just keep like that it because if it was, it was, you introduce me and then I'll kick it to you for the next one so uh, but yes let's dive into the movies that we've got tonight the selections we have uh, the first movie we will talk about tonight is uh, released February 5th 2010 and is the horror the survival horror film frozen. And no, I, I didn't have the balls to actually pull this joke. We were going to pull this. I was, going to, I was thinking about it. I was like, no, I can't do that because then we don't want to enrage the mouse. The mouse will come and get us. So, Yes. <laughs> Plato says, don't die on screen. I was only messing with you. I bet he's got a fucking voodoo doll. He's like sticking me in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like... <laughs> <laughs> Sally Skellington says, Johnny O must be tons of fun to be around when he's sick. No, nah, he's just tons of fun. Come on, man, that was fucking funny. Come on. I
1: I like the silence.
0: Tony Rasim says, just let it go. (laughs) There we go. Let's check this bad boy out. Here's the trailer. All right, we have the survival, the psychological survivor horror film uh, Frozen, and directed by Adam Green, written by Adam Green, starring Sean Ashmore, Kevin Zegers, and Emma Bell, who many will remember from The Walking Dead. Um, the story follows a trio of skiers, uh, two, um, intermediate skiers and one novice, the girl is the novice, of course, who, uh, decide to try and get one last lift in before the, uh, uh before the place closes, before the, uh, the resort closes and wind up getting stuck on a ski lift, you know, some 50, 60 feet above the ground and left behind. And, uh... The uh, resort is not going to open for a week, so they, you know, it's either just lay it there and die or find a way to get down, and you know things get things get pretty hairy. I will say this. So there's a. Devontelle <laughs> says this is a cold turn to polish. I don't think it is. All right, so.
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, but, so before before you, go, before you go, and I will say I was watching this one. I will give this film credit as this. This is the only film I've ever seen that started off really bad, and then became decent. Because the first fifteen minutes of the, it's very CW-ish. You say they, they kind of lie to get their ways onto the lift, and then they're like, right. "Oh, it's my girlfriend," and you "Well, we want to get away," and all, and they go get the one girl's number. Like it's very, and I was watching, I was like, "Man, this is just." bad this is just really bad when the one guy jumps and the movie's been out 13 years so the one guy mm-hmm. jumps and breaks his legs
0: <laughs> then, that's, that's one way of putting
1: it yeah <laughs> he, like, severely breaks his legs then the movie started getting good because i thought it was a very interesting dynamic because once He's gone, then you have the girlfriend and the best friend. And a lot of times in these situations, in these kind of survival horror films, you have like the best friend, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, and like the girlfriend will die. So then you got the best friend and the boyfriend, or the best friend dies, and you have the boyfriend, girlfriend. It's always that dynamic. I liked how you had the boyfriend gone, and then you just have the best friend and the girl who are actually kind of strangers. And
0: they he really doesn't kind of like her, so it's already kind of a negative set going exactly. in. Exactly. He's, he's like, why is she on our skiing trip? Because it used to be our time, and now she, all of a sudden you bring her along. She's not that good of a skier, so we're constantly held up waiting for her. They set up the dynamic that he doesn't like her, and he's not, you know, that, it's an interesting character development. And I like how you pointed out, like, if, from a narrative perspective, because typically you will get the best friend dies, and then you have the two people with the connective tissue that are left behind that now must overcome the odds together or you know one has to decide to sacrifice for the other one but that makes it more emotionally uh emotionally involving for the audience but in this respect you have the connective tissue between the two characters is the one who goes first so the boyfriend's the one who dies and now we have no connective tissue between the best friend and the and the new girlfriend other than the fact that they're in a survival situation exactly
1: and so that like that played really well and it had some really good characterization moments because they have to come together and they fight up there and they kind of work through in a very kind of a to me what felt like a very realistic like you start getting some depth behind these characters and so it makes you care what happens to them in the very end so I I will give the film starts off bad but it ends on a good note. Plus, and I will mention this in terms of climbing a cable, that's not how you climb a cable. No, that's not that is, that is not how you climb a cable at all, whatsoever. If you did it the correct way, it would nearly be as hard on his hands and everything. But of course, he has to do it the hard way. So I will give the I would give the film that credit.
0: So it was, it was, de- oh, so, okay. So it kind of says, it's not survival horror, it's a full blown comedy. I lulled every time one of them got screwed doing something stupid. Okay, so it's intriguing. So I was sitting here watching this, I'd seen the movie before, and I'm looking at it from a surface perspective, from, from your, your basic kind of audience perspective, the writing is is fairly dull. It's fairly, you know, boilerplate. And the what happens to them is kind of like it's gruesome. You know, when he falls down and he shatters both of his legs or when the wolves come in and you know, that those are horrifying scenarios. So of course, when frostbite begins to set in, being frozen to a metal pole and the you know, shit like that. So there's some really really gruesome shit. The idea of freezing to death you know, up there trapped in a particular area is a particularly, is, is a scary way to go. It's not as scary as, like say, you know, this legitimately not as scary as like burning alive or being eaten alive, with, you know, but we get to see the eaten alive in this one as well. But when it comes down to it, it's a scary scenario and it's very rooted in reality. These are things that it'd be interesting to see that I may mean, be rare them, for them to occur. You know, the whole incident with the, the snow plow comes up, you know, that goes up and uh, plows the entire uh, the, the entire slope and then they didn't for some reason get his attention played by Kane Hodder by the way which is really really cool Just see his little cameo yeah. in there <laughs> let's get let's get Kane Hodder in here the minute Kane Hodder showed up on screen you know these kids are fucked so you know i would but it, the cool thing about this what i really really dug about this on an, on this next view and this is like the like probably the fourth or fifth time i've seen it is one is one of my favorite kind of horror films in the respect that it demands that the audience engage in a way that oftentimes horror films don't like they don't. So in this particular one, especially survival horror films, it demands that the audience look at the situation and ask of themselves, what would I do in this situation? So you're looking at the, the characters in the situation and you yourself are, because it's so kind of parse. cause the narrative the narrative is so kind of parse. It's literally just people in bad situation, make choices and, Go, you know, go about their and you know we see what happens this invites the audience to step into those roles because they're the, the, the characters themselves are fairly one-dimensional they're literally kind of just pants so which i thought was is smart from a writing perspective because what you get out of this movie is not so much what's happening on screen that's part of it but the most of it is what would i do in that situation because it's so easy to put yourself in the shoes of anybody you see on the screen you could be the girlfriend. You could be the friend. You could be the boyfriend who's like you know. Do, you know, people go skiing all the time. It's so simple and so innocuous. Three people on a ski lift, you know, that anybody could be in those in those cha- like in those boots. And so the the invitation to draw the uh, the audience into that respect, I love that because in the like during the film. Have, I having seen it before, my wife is sitting there sitting there having a conversation. What would we do in that situation? And, you know, what would we do if this friend with, was with us? What would we do if another friend was with us? What would, what would we do if it was just us? You know, and to how to like deal with this kind of crap. And I like that because it's engaging to the audience and draws them in. And that's, I think, a, 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 a solid point of a good horror film.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that's what gets people because it's like, obviously someone drove by a ski lift it was like well, what if you got stuck up there and then movie made it's a relatively low budget movie they probably most of it I think it was shot like on a green screen because they have no breath coming out so you set up a green screen and you film like three-fourths of your movie just there sitting in that ski lift mm-hmm. but that's the thing when it comes to like the survival movies when it comes to disaster movies like Poseidon's Adventure or uh, Towering Inferno. What would I do in this situation? And, uh, I mean, first of all, the climb the cable, that idea would have come much sooner because the longer you stay up there, you're getting dehydration. uh, Freezing to death takes energy out of your body. And freezing death, And it's painful. Frostbite is extremely painful because your tissue literally dying on you. It feels like a burning sensation. Um, So it's not like you just comfortably go in your sleep kind of thing. Um, but or did they make some stupid decisions? Yeah, the worst part was when he like fell off and broke his legs, and they're throwing stuff. And she's like, Let me throw down my coat. I'm like, Are you fucking
0: serious? And why? Well, he threw, she threw her fucking glove off. And I'm like, yeah. Why would you do that? It's like, the, and someone brought it up. It was, uh, that's right. Joshua Lee says, I want to be Kane. I would want to be Kane Hodder than that movie. You'll never catch me skiing. So, but, um, someone said, uh, Cindy up. It's called Grooming the Slope. Yes, so he was the slope groomer is what mm-hmm. Kane Hodder was doing in, in that particular scene. But you've got skis on and the groomer is coming up. You take your ski off and you throw it at the fucking cab. Okay? Or here's, here's the thing. A snow groomer, the groomer, the the, uh, the machine that he's driving is not a small machine. We've got three people up here. Okay? If I'm saying, saying I'm stuck up on that bad boy. I will jump off and I will land on the groomer. Yes, I will get fucked up. But I'll be less fucked up because it's much further off the ground than just hitting the earth. Yeah, so mean, I'll happily... Huh?
1: Yeah, because that could cut your fall by 10 feet.
0: By, that, and, could, yeah. that can make so a difference. You land off that, you bounce off that bad boy. Yeah, it's going to hurt. But guess what? Now you've absolutely got the fucker's attention. <laughs> and he's going to get us. like, oh, we've got people stuck up there. Movie over. So yes... Because this because the situations are so dumb, the audience is drawn in, not from a matter of I identify with these characters and you know, I feel for them, they're drawn in because we I could do it better. I could think it better. I could be in a situation like this and I and I know what I this is so obvious what they're doing. They do everything that you don't do. They do absolutely everything that you don't do so
1: exactly in- and that's why you have like a movie that did a scenario like this far far better with the movie fall that came out this past, right. uh, past year much better movie has a great twist
0: oh well a- they stole that twist from 47 meters down oh wait it was produced by the people who did 47 meters down which uh- is pretty. <laughs> it was i mean I, I i i was like i was like because i saw 47 meters down i i liked though you know mandy moore i think she's a fantastic actress i was like oh mandy moore in a horror film i'm gonna check this out so I go and watch a shark movie. I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. Oh, interesting oh, twist because yeah. it, you know, it plays with your mind, you know. And but and then I saw then I saw fall. I I, ger, I had to like gird myself up to Seafall, Fall, and then all of a sudden I was like, what the fuck? They did this was this, this, this 47 meters down. Oh wait, it was produced by 47. The people who did 47 meters down. So yeah. Uh long hair. Good to see you. DeLonghair, hair says sitting on a ski lift is a very vulnerable situation. It does put you in a vulnerable situation until you get off. You are kind of at the mercy of it because you're way up there in the air so it it can be it can be dangerous in that respect but they definitely make a lot of bad choices but here's what's really really interesting and and i caught this kind of going on uh on this last viewing you know because i was able to like you know i know what's going to happen in the movie so i was able to kind of like look deeper look into the, the problem with this movie and the reason why it wasn't stronger is because what i think now Correct me if I'm wrong on this. I've been looking forward to talking about this for a minute. The problem with the movie is notably the first and foremost is its writing. As far as shooting it, as far as the cinematography goes, as far as the direction goes, everything was pretty much, it's pretty much run of the mill. It's exactly what you would expect. It's by the numbers. It's pretty, pretty easily done. But the writing in and of itself, I got something a little bit more, but the problem is, is that the writing... Did not try to convey what I think the screenwriter was trying was trying to convey. So this was both written and directed by Adam Green, and Adam Green is not is, has got a decent history. I mean, he's got some uh, good stuff under his park uh, or good stuff under his uh, belt. He directed Spiral. He directed uh, Hatchet. Um, so he knows horror. Okay, but my problem was is I'm sitting here looking at was like, wow, there are deeper themes going on here. I so I saw, and you can disagree with me on this. There was very very subtle imagery within this movie about that uh that harkens back and harkens back to orpheus and harkens back to dante's inferno so when I thought, thought about
1: that way more than i did way too hard movie.
0: so this is not turd polishing this is the see this is the difficulty in this is that i think adam green had something really really solid going on i think i think initially this plot had something really, really big, and I and I encourage people to go back and watch it, and keep and, and keep this in mind. I'm reminded of like Panos Cosmatos with Mandy. Panos Cosmatos, uh, people watch or people watch Mandy, and they kind of freak out because Nick Cage is like Nick Cage on oh, Cage Rage on oh, Cage Violence. It's all great. There were deeper themes to Mandy that a lot of people didn't pick up on. The entire movie is literally a Greek tragedy. The whole thing is literally a kind of retelling of Kronos and Rhea and the overtaking of the Greek gods by, um, by Gnostic Christianity. And everybody in the film represents a particular god or a particular entity in Greek mythology and in the history of Greek mythology. So that movie is miles deep. I saw some depth here that unfortunately was not conveyed in the, in the writing itself. And I think because this is kind of what happens. Scripts get written. And oftentimes people will look at them and they'll be like, this is too much or this is too little, expand on this, to pull this back because you're going, because the people who fund these things typically look at them and say, you'll lose the money on this. But what I saw was hints and what possibly may have been, I'd love to be able to talk to Adam Green about this, but with Orpheus, Orpheus leading out of Hades. Okay, and looking back and losing uh, the love of his life as he you know, as he sees the sun and he's like, oh, it's amazing we see it like that. And he turns around and looks at her and then he loses her and then she disappears. So the idea of not looking, the idea, the, you know, the, the themes of not looking back, looking forward, are constantly pushed forward by the characters. Is looking towards the future and not looking to the ba- not looking to the past. The idea of him screaming at her, "Don't look down while these wolves devour me alive." you know, and the and the best friend is trying to keep her from looking in that respect. The themes of not looking at the past, not looking at what's going on and keeping your eyes firmly fixed on the future and what I'm, on moving forward are throughout the entire movie. Even after they lose the boyfriend, even after they lose the friend who says, I will be back for you. And he takes off and does not look back and then is yet devoured by the wolves. And so, and then she herself, does the exact same thing, but she keeps her eyes forward and she doesn't stop until she. even when she encounters the wolves, she keeps going and then eventually she uh, finds salvation. So that theme was runs concurrent throughout the entire project. And then with the idea of Dante's Inferno and that the lowest level of hell in Dante's Inferno is the ninth level of hell, which is ice, which is frozen ice, and that the people there are all buried in ice up to their waist. So and they're they're stuck there, in, in, oh, but they're they're at their waist or deeper than that. So they're so they're frozen in ice, and then you have Satan himself, who has the three mouths on his uh, head, and is eating betrayers. And the themes of betrayal or the sensation of betrayal run concurrent in the characters themselves. The best friend feels betrayed by his friend because he's brought this person in this person who is intruding upon their ritual. So he feels betrayed by that. He feels betrayed by his best friend for not being warm and welcoming to this new woman in his life, and she feels betrayed because she's not at their level and she's constantly feeling like she's less, like she's uh, left behind, and he's wantonly brought her into this without a thought of her feelings in this. So everybody's betraying one another to a degree. Not extreme in the, like Judas Iscariot or or Brutus, but in this respect there are themes of betrayal here and the idea that in the circle of ice in the lowest circle of hell where people were literally the worst betrayers are eaten alive by satan over and over and over again and we have the themes of being eaten alive by the wolves and we have three people two of which are eaten alive and one who is not and one who manages to escape following the themes of orpheus i saw a depth here and unfortunately green either got jammed up and didn't get to convey this appropriately but left hints there, and I think that people should. I invite people to go and watch this movie with these things in mind, because you may see those same kernels that I saw. I, I think you are
1: way overthinking it. Way, way overthinking it. It seems more because the thing is, was it, because the movie was so traditional, like it was, or conventional. It was very, it was straightforward. I even thought of ways like that could be. More interesting, or you could pull more depth out of it. I think one of the things that would have made the movie more interesting is have them already start off on the ski lift. Maybe they've already been day, you can do flashbacks or something like that. Okay. Um, just to make it more interesting. It seemed, honestly, it seemed like it was like a cheap idea, or that somebody was skiing, was like, well, it would get stuck, get stuck up there. And they just kind of rolled off of just that idea. And then someone was able to get a little bit of money because the movie's cheap. Uh, so they get a little a little bit of money and they just filmed it. So that's that that's just what I picked up on. I could be wrong. There could be more there, but that's that's kind of see because when I was watching, I was like, man, they just need to be another threat. Then the wolves show up. it was like, okay, now it's, it's a little bit more of a threat there. Now it's a little bit more interesting. Um, they they, they, they uh, some of the circumstantial. I don't ski with my cell phone. Okay, that gets rid of the cell phone scenario. Uh, I was like, oh, that sucks. they will be out there for a night. Oh, they won't be up there till Friday. That's true. You will not survive up there till Friday.
0: No, you your, a week. You, you no, won't. This, no. <laughs> no, no, no.
1: Dehydration will will kill you right. if the cold doesn't. So,
0: there's another thing in that they have to move. They have to move forward. If they stay, they're dead. They must keep moving forward. There's that other that or other Orphean theme that is pushed forward in this. I I saw these things. Now, now here's a question. You think, you know, and, and it's totally valid. I may be completely overthinking this, but this, like, this, the, the, the idea, the, the medieval Christian idea of hell, like Dante Alghieri's Eo you know, Inferno like this, these tropes are are very old. These are mm-hmm. very old tropes that are done for, for a very specific imagery, okay? As far as, like, life lessons or cautionary tales in that respect or to convey a particular thing about, you know, like, the religious world. So my curiosity is, So I I have to, I have to, uh, you know, possibly say that in writing this, he kind of, you know, being a writer, he would probably, Adam Green likely has knowledge of these things, kind of pulled from that as far as like an imagery thing. Or maybe just by virtue of kind of like the creative kind of like, you know, the creative ether in that respect where two, two people independently can kind of like jump on the same story where he kind of replicated that because the imagery is so profound and he kind of replicated it without knowing it which is why those themes seem to be there because they're so evocative as far as like from a visual perspective that kind of like the idea of the the Christianity of the medieval Christian idea of hell in that respect. So it's possible that, that he did that 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 was completely by accident and the themes I'm seeing are are there are not really there intentionally but it's just accidental. It's like because they're so evocative and people touch on them so much. These stories have been told over and over and over and over, and over again. But I see that that that's what gave me kind of like, huh. And tell me that Adam Green is 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 a solid director. I've seen his other stuff. He's a solid director. But I saw some depth there in the writing. I was like, wow. I'm gonna keep an eye on Adam Green's future as far as a writer and a director goes, because I wanna see. Yeah, serendipity. Casey Cooper's right. You know, serendipitous. It just happened to touch on themes that are just ubiquitous in human fear. And so the ideas of freezing to death, of being eaten alive, of being isolated and alone in the cold and in the dark. So these are all things that terrify humans. So maybe he just touched on those and they happen to run parallel with stuff that Dante used in his idea of like the lowest circle of hell, removal from all warmth and light, that whole kind of thing. So I kind of saw that, so maybe Adam Green just kind of like tapped into the ether there and just kind of replicated what's already been done. Or maybe he saw that and he took that inspiration and it was it's like, ooh, we're gonna tell a really deep story here. And then the fucking studio came along and was like, ah, we can't go that deep because you're going to like kind of like people are going to be like, we're not, this is supposed to be a horror film, not physics, not, you know, like uh, philosophy 101 and shit. So I don't know. I, I, I'd I love to talk to him about it.
1: Obviously, only Green is going to know the answer to that. I right. just, I didn't pick up on that just because it was so standard. If you take something like, for example, like Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction is based off of, uh, the one poem with the suitcase and everything, the very non, it's a very non-traditional type of film. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of poetry imagery and stuff like that. But with this one, it seemed so by the numbers. Like the cinematography is by the numbers. The sound yeah. design is by the numbers. The characters, the characters' pants are by the numbers. It was so by the numbers, it seemed more like a check in the box. Than it did in terms of I want to push this theme out because a lot of times films that are very dramatic in the themes you pick up on that you can pick up even regardless of the gore regardless of the violence regardless of what else is going on you pick up on like oh that is that's the theme that they're going for this it was a, it's just a step above a TV movie
0: ah I gotcha okay interesting. So, uh, Rodell's name says I swear jail would find the Odyssey in a mediocre episode of Scooby Doo. You never know, man. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> hey, say, being a you know, being a writer, you tend to read a lot, and you you. And I'm not saying I've like read everything in the world, but you, the more you read, the more you kind of see that there are that there are themes that keep getting repeated throughout time, going all the way back to like Mesopotamia. There are, th- there are narrative elements that we've been using since the dawn of human civilization so we can tell stories. So when it comes to the horror genre, those are going to get recycled. So I'm saying maybe it was serendipitous, maybe not. Maybe it was intentional. I, I honestly don't know. But what's cool about Frozen is also it's engaging, It's kind of like the engaging situation. What would you do in the situation? And that's kind of what we want to ask. How would you survive Frozen? Because Frozen, and someone else brought it up, uh, like open water. Situations like this are completely like, you know, you get left behind on a, you know, on a snorkeling or on a scuba diving mission. All of a sudden you're in the middle of the goddamn ocean. This one, you get left behind. You know, the idea of being, you know, abandoned in that respect in a terrifying situation or like, you know, the Pacific Northwest, you're stuck up there in the middle of nowhere. How would you survive frozen? What would you do if you were stuck on that ski lift? In that scenario facing a week with no water no food 50 feet 50 60 feet off the ground how would you get out of it we'd like to know let us know in the comments below of course in the live chat of course at at weekendhorror gmail.com i love engaging horror like that what would you do in the situation
1: Yeah, because absolutely, because, I mean, some of these situations, I like, there was a film that came out uh, probably about 20 years ago, and I want to say it was a made-for-TV movie, and it was a real story of a couple that got snowed in in the mountains. They were driving somewhere, and they got snowed in, and it was a couple, and they had, like, their infant with them, and, like, they were in the car for several days. But eventually, you're like you going to run out of gasoline for the heat for the car. Yeah. Um, you're running out of food. You don't have water. And so eventually what ends up happening was the husband was like, okay, well, I have to get help because we're going to die. So the, the pass of snowed in, put a big blizzard. And so he got out and he, he walked, I want to say, about 70 plus miles. So nice. several days in terms of to finally he was able to get help and she stayed with the infant in the car and they kind of bu- bundled up the entire time and when they were finally rescued both of them suffered like severe frostbite in their feet and in their hands
0: but Oof. they all three survived brutal so we gotta see uh travis brown says just wrap my body around and just let myself be killed ouch <laughs> city sue says fall If will be sarcasm says i'm too intelligent to end up in a scenario that's stupid Good point. denova twenty says, use my ski to zip line down the cable. Interesting. I don't know. Oh, shit. No. So,
1: <laughs> so like the, a coat maybe could go a little, a ski is real hard because like you can't center it. So as soon as you put your ski on, you start going, obviously the ski is going to slide to one way or another. Now it's ski and your hand being torn up on the steel cable. Yeah.
0: And plus, they're aluminum. I don't know how well they'd hold up as far as like metal on metal. Cause when metals of different uh, densities abrade, so then it's going to be they, that cable. I mean, those cables are, they'll chew through anything. Yeah. So, yeah, which is why his hands look the way they did after climbing on it like an idiot. So, uh, <laughs> that's
1: why you got to get your legs over the cable also. You get your legs. Right. And so that way you can slide, you can rest your hands, you can put your. You can kind of wrap your elbow on. I mean, we did, we did it in boot camp. So, like, climbing a cable like that is not hard.
0: Brian Powell says, use my skills I learned in military school. Good
1: See, point. I'm pre- yeah, I'm pretty sure he did the same thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, Cindy Seuss says, if you're talking about Wyatt Gray-, oh, Wyatt Gray, he came back and they both walked with Baby in a sort of to but- uh, toboggan and walked to safety. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, name says, zipline would work until you hit that stanchion. Blat.
1: Coming in hot. <laughs> Coming in
0: hot awesome all right so uh metal metal is an anvil song oh very cool yeah uh let me see here uh yes eugene so uh, i hope i didn't like lose everybody on that one that's just my take on that one i saw i was like oh i gotta talk about this anyway eugene take us on what's our next one all right
1: so our next film we have is called the lodge which was released february 7th 2020 roll it all right so that is the lodge directed by veronica franz starring riley coe jaden mattel leah mchugh alicia silverstone and richard armitage and basically what you end up having is you have a family that goes up to a lodge you have a dad with a stepmom the dad actually has the two kids and then a the dad has to leave so it's just the stepmom and the two kids and things from her past keep coming up <sighs> i wanted to it? like it okay <laughs> I, I did i i wanted to i i felt like this was a type of movie that was a ripoff of hereditary Oh, really in terms well it, the thing is is in terms of like the way it was shot because shot very similar to how, how hereditary is and kind of the isolation premise because with hereditary it takes place in the middle of nowhere there's a town nearby but they're kind of still in in the middle of nowhere it was it's just it was it felt like the director watched hereditary and went i could do something like that too and went because you have the whole cult aspect that goes into it, along with hereditary. You have like the the mm-hmm. followers of um, I can't remember the the demon the demon god they were following. So it just it kind of it kind of hit on a couple of those.
0: So too much of a copy for you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Joshua Lee says uh, so shit didn't get real. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Joshua Lee. <laughs> <laughs> um and it was pie man yeah the, uh or payment uh yeah, Payman. Nova 20s, yeah. so so this was in the, this was intriguing like this obviously the film this one centers around some basic you know tropes it's about isolation paranoia and of course mental illness and uh particularly gaslighting in that respect now the for those who have seen it i know this one came out in 2020 it's only 2023 so we still kind of more torn spoilers but there's what you saw in the trailer um I feel it necessary kind of like as kind of like a reviewer and as a filmmaker myself that the trailer was somewhat deceptive in that respect, which I really didn't appreciate. Like hereditary was not deceptive in any way. Supernatural shit was running around all over that goddamn movie. So (laughs) yeah. So hereditary, if anything, hereditary kind of like, like buried the lead and it was like, Holy, that way when it hit you in the face? It was like, what the fuck? But this one, I didn't like this. It was very it, this one. The trailer itself is is kind of deceptive. So the film in it itself, obviously the trade, they're stuck in a lodge, they're isolated, they're cut off. Um, it's just the new girlfriend around with the with the with the with the kids with her with her boyfriend's kids because their mother who was a straight, who was you know, they were getting, the process of getting a divorce. But Alicia Silverstone, I totally when I threw this on, I was kind of like I, I totally was like holy shit, Alicia Silverstone's in this shit. And then that opening got me. That was fucking brutal. <laughs> and it's wild because, and it, it was—it's wild because Alicia Silverstone has kind of slid as an actress has kind of slid into the whole kind of like <clears throat> Christian Renaissance, kind of like Mark Wahlberg has, and a number of other actors who were like big in the in the nineties and the early two thousand who were like you know, kind of hit there. Kind of sliding towards the whole like kind of Christian Renaissance as far as films go, you know, films with those kinds of messages. That's that's what kind of ruined the Requiem, you know, that stupid shark movie that he that was a fucking terrible movie. But it was crazy, it was weird to see her do a scene like that in the opening of the film. I was like, that kind of shocked me. I was like, holy shit, well, the film's got my attention now, and then it descends into this narrative of distrust of isolation paranoia and of course and mental illness and of course gaslighting in itself because it comes down to it and it has some excellent actors but somewhat it wasn't this the the trailer was disappointing but in this one it examined this this is what's really really interesting from a narrative perspective now from the other aspects as far as like direction goes this is a character driven piece it's it's not really the environment the environment is a character itself because it's the thing that's cutting cutting them off from everything else but the problem's on, hey, Vera Lucia, good to see you. Vera Lucia Campos, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you. And Extra J, good to see you, bud. Um, the problem with this one is that every single person in this movie is a villain. And there is no protagonist. Which I thought was was an, an, kind of a weird take. Because I think that's what kind of put people off. Because there's really nobody to root for. When it comes down to it, everybody is the villain. The mother's the villain. The mother is a villain for checking out the way she checked out. The father's the villain because his he's already they're not even divorced yet. He's already moved on and wants to marry somebody else. So obviously, so he's not like he's kind of a villain villain in that respect. The kids are kind of villainous because they immediately task themselves as to fucking with this girl that they know has mental health issues mm-hmm. and is on medication, is heavily medicated and was uh, like the former member of a cult, like the last surviving member of a suicide cult. Then they know all this about her and decide to do this to her anyway. And then she, being kind of like the ultimate villain because of how the movie concludes, because she descends into her paranoia and her kind of cult mentality, and we see what then, happens. Yeah, and then
1: end the film. But see, even and even this, this is like this is why I will say this is like the cheap hereditary knockoff. This, I mean, this is yeah. hereditary is a very good movie. This is, but at not. least in
0: hereditary, there was a there were there were there were victims. There well, were the victims. Is, there was protagonists. We we. I mean,
1: well like uh-huh. okay so going with hereditary they're all doing bad stuff because the dad's checked out. You have you have Tony Collette that's doing a bunch of questionable stuff. The older brother gets the younger brother killed. Like they they all do bad they, things.
0: The younger sister. Oh yeah, the younger sister. <laughs> they, they, they,
1: they all do they so they, they all do bad things, but there's so much going on it may, it holds your attention. Taking hmm. taking the supernatural element out. Then you you don't you're not having anybody has Tony Collette's performance, so you don't have a performance that's nearly as gauging. It's not shot quite as well as Hereditary. You don't have the action that goes on, you don't have the disturbing imagery that's still to the scale of Hereditary. So you took Hereditary and then made a milder set like milder slow version of it and you took out everything i mean there's even a model scene in the beginning of the film where right she's like like a dollhouse i mean right. that's uh, the opening shot of hereditary is going into the house it's straight up copy it's copy and they took out all the good stuff
0: that and the you know it, you know the, the shocking opening in that respect same thing you know like mm-hmm. it opens up with a with a with a pretty with a pretty brutal brutal suicide brutally realistic in that respect um they, I mean there's there's some tough themes in there but yeah I can see that it's definitely kind of a, a hereditary rip and with a kind of almost and this was what really this kind of aggravated me at this point it was when she's traipsing through the snow she's like I'm gonna go get help she's traipsing through the snow and she comes across this like building this like house is kind of like partially snowed in it's like this literally the, the like the house looks like a cross cruci- like a cross it looks like a crucifix so she comes across this cross building in the middle of, like, the snowy wilderness before she winds up, you know, making a full circle and coming back to the house, which, you know, reinforces this idea that they're trapped in, like, purgatory and shit. And so she comes across this, and the way that that was shot, the cinematography on that shot, harkened uh, very much to Lars von Trier. And so it was kind of like, oh, interesting. So we're going to go into this kind of, like, this... this kind of like metaphysical uh you know meditation on her mental illness and bridging the kind of like gap between what you know metaphysical reality the metaphysical reality that she used to believe in and what she knows to be reality now and how things are going to start to blur and everything i was like but because the supernatural wasn't there it doesn't mean anything because that's not possible in this in this universe that they've concocted so it was like hereditary without the bite and then tries to make up for it with more of kind of like like shocking the like, like the shocking opening, and of course the end of it, where it's like this is a, it's a bad ending for everybody because there's no good people and there's no protagonist. Everybody's yeah. a villain in to some degree, so we're all just waiting to see who's going to get off and which way and who first and how it's all going to go down. So it became kind of like you know, it started out there was an interesting concept here, you know, trapped in the snow with a with you know trapped in like the isolated lodge with a, with a potential psychopath. That's something there, but. The whole idea of gaslighting her—that's what really kind of aggravated. It's not the idea that I'm I'd like you know I understand what gas you know the the concept of gaslighting and how that can be very very scary, but they, there wouldn't be a movie if these kids hadn't been the fucking shits that they were, to this degree. And so kids can be shits and they can fuck around with you, okay? Um, and De Nova, I wouldn't even go so far as say ba- uh, Babadook vibes because that kid. I think got on all of our nerves, but it's not his fault. It's not that. It's not that child's fault. These kids were deliberately fucking shits for doing what they did to her, knowing full well the problems that she had. Obviously, not being able to, you know, not being able to, you know, envision the the ramifications of their actions. Oh, because we're just kids, so we're gonna like convince you that you know we all we all died in our sleep and we're all in the afterlife. We're in purgatory. We're like that. I was like, what the fuck, man? That's some psychotic level bullshit the level of planning that it takes to
1: do that's not like a little whim like a oh we're gonna go we're gonna like trip you and you fall down the stairs or something like that the the, the amount of planning and conniving
0: it so and faking faking hanging himself and shit it's like what the faking a suicide that knowing it's going to trigger her that's the absolute taking away the meds that was fucking evil is what that was that was beyond the pale and so I'm looking at it, but, but then the kids are like, we're so sorry, we didn't mean to. We were just fucking with you. And then she's already gone completely batshit. She's just trying to reconcile how this is all going to end. You know, she's already got the third act in mind. These kids still think they're playing in act two. She's already <laughs> like, no, this has got to go down this way. This is the way it's always meant to be. Uh, and so that's it. you know, And the shit with the dog, you know, it was fucked up. And... That's why it, it put me out of it, because not that it was a bad reveal, kind of like, oh, ho, ho, we're fucking with you. They went to some le- some extreme level shit. This like, you know, some pathologically psychotic level shit. Faking or hanging in front of somebody whose entire family killed themselves as a part of a cult. That's pretty fucked up. That, so, that's a
1: psychopath, like, kid. Like, if they grew up yeah. to cults, then it'd be like, oops, I'm sorry. I that's can't shit
0: that, that. that is shit that villains do to protagonists. Yes. That is what they do to protect us. That is a villainous maneuver. So, you know, and that's why it kind of took me out of it. And I and I totally get the it, it was like a is a hereditary. Riff. It was the same kind of visuals, you know, utilizing the the uh, the miniatures, utilizing the miniature house and the miniature things to kind of foreshadow what's going to happen in the uh, in the film. So all because they don't want a new mommy. <laughs> Fucking weak. What and. Oh. And it's like yeah, Joshua Lee's huh shows how much Hollywood follows the money. Seems like this movie got good reviews from the mainstream. Sort of. You know, it got critical it got critically critically good reviews, but lukewarm reception. And I think it was because of the twist, because it was lauded up as a supernatural horror film in the vein of Hereditary when it turned out to be a non supernatural film that rips hereditary. So.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just it's like they watched hereditary and they're like, okay, this is everything we like about it. Now we're gonna do something completely different. I just because of me and because I mean in hereditary, then what are the scenes you what are the scenes that stand out? Her with the piano wire, her banging Ugh. her head up against the ceiling, the husband catching on fire. Like there, all this, like, man, this is oh my god, like the climax of that film. And this is like
0: That's it. Slow and brooding and kind of like, you know, methodical. And, you know, you see where it's going. It's like like watching a car accident slow motion. But then the car accident doesn't even turn out to be really that bad. It's It's like a fender
1: bender. Yeah,
0: everything is just kind of like, it's kind of, everything is kind of telegraphed. Which is just a bummer in that respect there wasn't anything really and probably in a post hereditary world there's going to be a lot of shit that's telegraphed because now we're going to be in the uh, we're going to have hereditary eyes be like oh i see where this is going oh and it doesn't go there and ultimately we're kind of like depressed because like yeah. oh man it could have been this but they decided to go this direction i think there was a lack of courage on this particular film um oh, i think that they could have gone in a particular direction they had like there was, I think, there was an urge to kind of like a feeling. It was, like, we want to do this, we want to go this way, but they didn't have the stones to go all the way through. Um, whether that was the director's choice or whether that was studio involvement, I don't know. I can you know, unless something somebody says something, but uh, it was a whole lot of yeah. That was some Dexter level plotting. It absolutely was because they actually use the dollhouse of the miniatures to kind of plan out what they're going to do. Yeah, and It's kind of like they mo- they mock modeled it. They modeled their plot out. It's like what the fuck, man! And the little girl, the little girl and the kid were both in it, but yeah. So that that was seriously, it was problematic, and I don't know if uh, Veronica Franz and Severin Fiala, um, think uh, they're a filmmaking duo out of Austria, and which makes sense because they'd be very well aware of Lars von Trier's films. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so European directors, and I can see that kind of influence in that kind of, you know, that new way Fran- France kind of style that, you know, like that Von Trier loved so much and the kind of, you know, s- uh, symbolism there. But they didn't go all the way. Maybe it was Cold Feet. I don't know. Um, they did, their debut film was Goodnight Mommy, which is fucking wild because Goodnight Mommy, the ger- German version, not the Amazon remake, but, the ger- the, but Goodnight Mommy was fucking brilliant and terrifying in that respect the idea of the dissociative personality the twin that's not that's not really there and the other that was fucking freaky and then they could turn around and deliver this this lukewarm deal maybe it's because it was you know maybe it's because it made for americans i don't fucking know i
1: mean the thing is is like you have the second one where it's like now you probably got like some more studio money behind it and you're right that whole thing was the fact that there were no chances taken like they could have gone supernatural Or even if they didn't go supernatural and they wanted to just be like, okay, we want to be like just a cult and show what people can do in that aspect of it. You have to have something to take some kind of risk because when you have Lars, he takes risk all the time. Lean into symbolism, lean into the metaphors, lean into those themes, really, really make it something where it's like this haunting imagery. You're already in the cabin in the middle of nowhere you there's some gorgeous landscape that you can take advantage of really really lean into it and they just didn't they just is right yeah, lukewarm lukewarm It's a shame
0: but it was it was wild because there was so much talent there riley cuff is a, is, a, is a really really talented actress uh, richard armitage um if you've seen him in his bbc in the bbc productions he's been a part of is really good jaden martell that kid is like busy as shit. he's like working his ass off ever since you know it um so yeah a lot of talent in this movie a lot of talent behind the camera but unfortunately just not a lot of courage behind the camera which is a damn shame because i expected a lot more from that filmmaker from the filmmaking duo but you never know we see we, they have the talent maybe they just need the right project maybe that that might yeah, be it i'm yeah, not may,
1: sure maybe maybe that so yeah. but i want to go ahead and i want to ask the audience does gaslighting scare you there's a lot of gaslighting in this film does something like that, maybe taking, driving somebody crazy, is that something that's a general scare for you? Or is it kind of like a, eh, I don't think it gets to me. So let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email at weekendhorror at gmail.com. All right. Well, that's the end of the podcast, everybody.
0: Nah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting, we'll get through these ones. The, the, I mean, I don't, have, I don't have much to say. this, So I just have a couple of comments on this, on this next one. I mean, so yeah, let's just get through it. The next film that we're going to be talking about tonight is released February 9th, two thousand eight. Oh, even I was sad to like. I, I watched it. I watched it. I, I watched it too. Let's watch the trailer for yeah. Bone Eater. It's not a porn, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the trailer. <laughs> Let's try and run through this one. So Bone Eater was a made-for-television monster movie written and directed by Jim Wynorski and starring Bruce Boxleitner, fucking Bruce Boxleitner, Michael Horse and Claire Bryant. And, of course, people might remember Michael Horse from uh, his role in uh, Twin Peaks because he uh, I, can't remember, I remember he was in that. And then, of course, um, also uh, uh, Gil uh, Gerard, Gil but I have to say it, even though it bums me out, fucking Walter Koenig was in this movie and William Cat. William Katz, a legendary kind of TV character actor, but yeah, Walter Koenig from Star Trek was in this. Played yeah. with with one one scene. Played this, so yeah, yeah so it, no, it shockingly it is not a. This is not a uh, an asylum film, but it did premiere on Sci-Fi. So this is a Sci-Fi monster movie, but the film essentially centers around uh, this unscrupulous uh, land de- land developer, Dick Kranz, who ignores the protest of the of the local Native American tribe, and he uh, decides to like plow over his area for this new resort that he's gonna that he's gonna bring in, and he winds up disturbing this grave, or disturbing the like the like the I guess the grave of this monster called the Bone Eater, and it then resurrects and then is like you know wreaking havoc across the land, and then Bruce Boxleitner has to your box lightener has to reach down to his Native American heritage and fight the monster to destroy it. <laughs> I can't believe my fucking... <sighs> um, so, yeah. Anyway. I, I will um, say
1: this for this film. This is the worst thing that's happened to Indian culture since the Trail of Tears. Like, <laughs> this is so
0: bad. It's really, really on oh,
1: so many levels. It is a complete misappropriation of Native American culture. Uh, uh, period. Um, the monster looks like it has five penises, and the one
0: and the five one, five baculums, five are bac- Yes, so there's five like five baculums, but they
1: dangle between <laughs> his legs. They do. They do. Yes, and then on top of that, finally, you would think the one redeeming quality of a film like this could maybe they have some really good kills, maybe they're really gory or they're really interesting or something like that. No, he just disintegrates everybody. Like that's it. He just stabs, disintegrates. He has acid breath, disintegrates in a very cheap CG effect. So you have, and all the kills are the same. All of them. You no good kills culture of inappropriation you have a penta penis thing running around and as soon as you see it you're like oh it's this you have this axe spear hatchet thing whatever oh obviously you just hit it with it and it's just it's in that's it just gone. just complete terrible film
0: yes this was um the dusted all buffy the vampire slayer yeah pretty but but less dr- literally just kind of like it was just poo, just wind, and it was just like it's dust. Season one, it's season one, Buffy. It's, it's yeah, season one, Buffy. It's early Buffy, yeah. but this was how does the skeleton have breath? That's true. How does it have lungs? It doesn't have lungs. How does it have like add, you know, this breath that makes this breath attack? This is some sort of like D and D monster that they they thought up that you know is like it has an area of attack effect with its breath attack, and then it has like a <laughs> a it has like bone weapons that it just kind of like materialized out. Of it's body. It has bone knives that it throws and dust people and a giant bone sword, and then of course a like dust, bone dust stallion that it runs around that is like faster than cars and shit. So yeah, the 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 big thing on this one is like this thing was fucking embarrassing. This is an absolute embarrassment of the film. I don't know why led the legendary Bruce Boxleitner would have would have signed on to this one. Yes, okay. you're right, Casey Cooper. D D is better than that. It absolutely yeah. is.
1: And we were talking um, about the Wayans film too, from two thousand.
0: <laughs> so uh, this is it the thing that I got about this one is that the, uh, the Indigenous Americans deserve better than this. They, I, I, like, for example, an excellent example of Indigenous American representation would be the film that we watched before was what uh, a film that we talked about before on the show, um, Don't Say Its Name, which ostensibly was a Wendigo film. In that respect but it was more like a kind of possessing entity that jumped from person to person in order to wreak in order to wreak revenge on the on the name of the tribe so it was like summoned up by the tribe that's based on a legitimate legend so and the individuals that were involved in that where they they hired native american actors um they strongly recommended the the uh, conflict between tribes and white people and even brought you know, brought up some stuff about like white people who try to help the tribes by being a part of the tribes, even though they're not full-blood members of the tribe. So there's interesting stuff, interesting politics, history that was brought in. That's how you do that. This is not how you do that. This thing is fucking embarrassing. It's an Indian tribe, it's a Native American tribe that doesn't exist. It's a monster that doesn't exist. And you have fucking Bruce Boxleitner donning war paint and using this like tomahawk thing at the end to fight a CGI CGI bone monster with five baculum swinging between its legs. (laughs) This is problematic. This. This is not which... But of course it is sci-fi. So that's what sci-fi kind of does. It's lowest common denominator shit, and but I think that films like this do way more harm than good. That I know that sci-fi does low budget shit, but if they want to do low budget shit, fucking do Lake Placid 5, 6, 7, 8, do Anaconda like 5, 6, whatever. Do fucking more giant octopus versus mega shark versus you know crocosaur. I don't give a damn. Shit like this. Is fucking embarrassing because no one should have signed on to this fucking thing. And I, I was shocked to see uh, Michael Horse in this after him, after watching his performances where he, where, you know, him being a part of productions that really respected indigenous American history and legends and their mythologies and their history. And then he turns around and is in this. This was kind of, this was embarrassing and really kind of pissed me off. So
1: yeah I mean it really is this is the film is pure trash there's so many great films that talk about Native American culture even Prey that came out um
0: oh yeah yeah
1: the way the way they treated uh indigenous Americans is phenomenal hiring indigenous American cast and then really really leaning on them into on their culture experiences praise a fantastic film this is like someone who read a paragraph in a history book about indigenous Americans and then decided to write a movie about it and it's insulting and it's bad in every way this was some it's another type of film that I don't think anybody really cared it could have just been a check and well like the butcher just a film that's just it's a
0: check yeah it's, it's it's a paycheck in that respect but you know like I said there's something, I think, that people... Which is worse. This or Mono's Hands of Fate. This is worse than Mono's Hands this of Fate. This
1: is worse. I like Mono's. I like yeah. Mono's Hands of Fate. I've seen that film at least ten times because at the very least, that's a fun film to watch, to have some drinks and laugh. This is like... I have no interest in ever seeing this movie again.
0: Right. Sir Cadd says, when the Native American actors call themselves Indians, they're just beyond caring and want the money. Agreed. Yeah. <clears throat> Another example of... of Another, uh, uh, T- uh, Taylor Sheridan's Yellowstone does, a, does an excellent depiction of ind- indigenous American history. <clears throat> and of course, the politics of modern day <clears throat> reservations dealing with land grabbers and people, you know, corporations trying to come in and, and, and take their land from them and give them a bunch of money, but then they lose their heritage and they lose their, their they lose their land. It's something that they face today. We need more productions like that. More productions like Prey that actually shot the film in Navajo, which is fucking crazy. That they read that they that they said you no. Know, it's like fuck no. The directors like we are shooting this in the in the actual language they would have spoken then. And the only things that you know, we, we, the only the English is the, and then of course the French trappers only speak fucking French, except for there one translator who happens to speak multiple languages. So he speaks Navajo and he speaks so. And I love how the, not only the Navajo had subtitles. The Navajo had subtitles. The French did not because the Navajo wouldn't understand what they were yeah, saying. Yeah, she
1: does. She was understand what they're saying. I like right. that
0: aspect of it.
1: I really enjoyed brilliantly
0: that. done. Yes. that's what we need. Movies like and yeah, Sally Skeleton brings up racist is all hell. There was a lot of casual racism in this fucking movie, and that's what really really aggravated the shit out of me. And wh- I don't I, I I don't know why Michael Horace. I um, mean it was and it was he was Deputy Hawk in uh, Twin Peaks in David Lynch's Twin Peaks. But he's played a number of... I mean, that guy goes back to, to, back to like, the Lone Ranger. So I know he's dealt with it, you know, to a degree. But this is almost like that fucking... So, like, Sonny... Uh, um, oh, God. Fucking Predator. Billy. Sonny, uh, Sonny... um God fucking damn it. You
1: know... Oh, you're talking about from the first Predator?
0: Yeah, yeah. From the first Predator. Um, yeah. Uh, Sonny Landom, Sonny Landom yeah. In a fucking... A uh, junkyard possession movie we watched. Oh you don't even remember it. <laughs> 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 Where fucking Sonny Landon shows up. It's like yeah. the worst interpretation of Indigenous Americans. But Sonny went along with it. And that dude that dude that dude I believe is full blood Sue. So you know it's disturbing that respect and I didn't like it. Um there's so much far better stuff. And you know sci-fi also produced Farscape. You know, it's hits and misses. You know, that's what it is. I
1: mean, um, it, it really is. And the thing is even aggravating, it doesn't even get like a time pass because the movie came out in 2008. Right. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to forgive movies of the past, but at the very least on some of the older stuff, you can go like maybe ignorance at the time. You can at least maybe add a little something there. 2008, you should have known better.
0: We can do better than this. Yeah. And Casey Cooper says, sigh, sometimes you just need the money. It's true. Sometimes yeah. you do need a fucking paycheck because we all got more. We got mortgages to pay and we got fucking bills to pay and kids to feed, and kids to put through college. And I get it. I get it. But yeah, Paul says sorry. Had to walk away from this giant racist piece of shit. This one was a. This one was a bad one. It was a really bad one. So I was really bummed about that. And I don't know how Bruce Boxleitner could look himself in the in the mirror after after having donned that fucking racist outfit and war paint
1: see and i Which, wonder if the movie that was sold to him was different than what they actually shot that when he signed the contract maybe he was told something else because a lot of times you, when you sign on a movie you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out in the end and so it could have been like hey maybe he thought he was doing something different and then changes happen afterwards he's already signed in contractually obligated to do stuff i don't know yeah, possible. i just i don't know so. yeah
0: totally possible all right. But um, you yeah, know, this pretty much there wasn't much to say on this one. The CGI is absolutely terrible, directing was subpar. The acting was other than the the couple of known actors that are in there that know how to delete, at least deliver lines convincingly, but it was just it was just trash. It was way too much racism, casual racism at that. Way too much misrepresentation. Just a fucking insulting movie, you know, left and right. And that was just it was more aggravated I was like, what the fuck? How did they get away with it? I've seen a lot of bad fucking monster movies. Guess what? Roger Corman has got the goddamn title on bad monster movies. And that fucker hasn't done, and that dude never needed to be racist to any fucking culture ever. And I, you know, and I mean, and Carnosaur is up there and fucking terrible. And, you know, there's just, there's no need. But, you know, sci-fi, they changed their name to S-Y-F-Y. Th- that being said nonetheless
1: <laughs> i mean the I'll thing just... is is in in with the sci-fi channel and this tells you how sci-fi has has missed the mark sci-fi in the early 2000 to current day is one of the largest genres and they should have been on the forefront yeah. of how sci-fi has risen up because you know, the 90s and before, it used to be very, very nerdy. But now it's risen up; it's become mainstream. Uh, people are looking forward to these sci-fi, sci- science fiction films have a better, bigger budgets nowadays. Like Blade Runner 2049. Like it's this is like a sci-fi renaissance right now. And the network is so out of touch with the genre. Their number one film is Sharknado. Oof. That's how that's how much Sci-Fi Channel has missed the mark. On what could be one of the largest genres currently today?
0: Yeah, such a bummer. And here, and the the big kicker, the big fucking bummer in it, despite all this crap, the monster in it wasn't even an indigenous American monster. It's not even based on an indigenous American legend. And because you know, we currently have a project in the works that I've done a ridiculous amount of research on in order to try and do the same, a, you know, a, a horror movie around an indigenous American uh, monster this thing doesn't exist nowhere in any tribe whatsoever does this fucking thing even remotely you know it's not even like an adaptation of something else but i do want to ask the audience when they do them well or when they do like they tell stories about the like the narrative surrounding an indigenous american monster or legend what is your favorite of the ones that they have done movies of. Or, you know, what's one that you wish they did a movie of? Your favorite indigenous American monster or legend? Let us know in the comments below. Or of course, you have the live chat, Of course at WeekendHorror at gmail.com. I'd be very curious. Here's like look like, which one you dig? You know, Skinwalkers, Wendy Go. You know, there's so many uh, to list. Let us know what your favorite is. Now, there you go. Denova twenty eight, Wendy Goes. Something about Wendy. people, man. Eating people <laughs> just kind of freaks people out. So I get that one.
1: Oh, just, just badly disintegrating people.
0: All right. So I see that you kind of like, you, you like kind of on this one, but there's some things to say about this one. Take us home. Take us home with this last one tonight. All
1: right. So the last one we have is The Lost, which was released February 11th, 2008. Roll it. That is The Lost directed by Chris Silverstein, and starring mark center shay Aston, alex frost michael bowen with also d wallace mm-hmm. and basically what you have is you have a teenage serial killer who ended up killing two girls early on and then it, co- it cuts to a couple of years later and basically we return back to him kills start coming back up again and shit definitely gets real <laughs>
0: Yeah, I oh, would say yeah. I would say this shit absolutely gets fucking real in this one. So, uh, th- this particular film. So, uh, so yeah, the film in itself is a, is just a brutal and uh, oh sorry, a gritty and brutal kind of exercise in just violence and sex and debauchery and all kinds of shit. Exactly the kind of stuff that Jack Ketchum, right, that Jack Ketchum wrote about before he passed away. So Jack Ketchum's books, you know, if you look through his his uh, his bibliography. It's kind of like that was where he kind of like it was where he kind of like lived. The idea of a of a grittier kind of underbelly version, kind of a hen and lauder version of like Brett Easton ellis's viewpoints on like life in and of itself and kind of on the world. How it's all pretty much dog eat dog, a very nihilistic, very cynical look at things. And he took that sensibility. And one thing that Jack Ketchum really dug was also true crime, because he did a, a story, a novelization of the Gertrude Bandazowski murder. Um, the, about the girl that was tortured in her basement by the lo, lo, local neighborhood, but it's called The Girl Next Door. The Lost was also based on a legitimate serial killer, um, that kind of hit the pass He, you know, killed a few people and this young guy named Ray, and I don't, didn't want to get too much into that one. But the purpose of this one is kind of, this is an adaptation of his book, which was adapted from the story of this legitimate killer in that respect. The thing about this one, and it is a horror film in that respect, and it's got, uh, it's directed by Chris Siverston, who's a big, you know, Ketchum fan. The one thing that stuck out to me is like, I kept asking myself why. So I didn't see the, the point of it other than just simply say this was an evil person who did this evil shit, sure. But there was nothing deeper beyond that. It was literally just watching a character unravel to the point that mass murder ensues and a killing spree ensues, and it just gets fucking insane, and then it just ends. So, you know, I've seen biopics, and, you know, they're done on actual, like, legitimate killers. Mindhunter was fantastic. The new Jeffrey Dahmer series I thought it captured quite well. Evan Peters did good. You know, Jeremy, Ren- Jeremy Renner did well with uh, with Dahmer. I've seen a bunch. Kane Hodder was actually pretty good um, as a Gein one in his depiction. So, you know, Steve Railsbeck as well. But I've seen him before, but this one just kind of... I. I get it's true crime but i didn't see a fucking point a point to ketchup's vice for ultraviolence like why and
1: yeah ag- agreed because if you take a film like ultra violence while well, you take the film natural born killers which natural born killers is a fantastic film because it has a it follows the America's obsession with serial killers in into that culture the way it's shot like a TV show having heavily like heavy media even the stuff where Juliette Lewis is with Roddy Dangerfield is shot like a sitcom it's that American yeah. culture behind it so it doesn't necessarily explain Woody Harrelson's ultra violence and obviously oh, she, she kills her she kills her parents and they become you know serial killers it doesn't go too deep into it, it still has It still has themes to it, it's still like this is a reason why. This is how this is how we can fall in love with something like this. Whereas this film
0: it just just felt pointless. It felt empty. Yeah, it's just like
1: I'm just watching fucked up stuff for the sake of watching fucked up stuff.
0: So exactly, and that's what kind of got me. So it, it was weird because him uh, you know, another movie of his that was adapted, adapted for him was called was The Offspring, and The Offspring was an interesting one. It was also adapted for a film, the sequel of which was The Woman, and then that went on to um, there was a th- there was a third in that tr- kind of trilogy, that kind of like thematic trilogy. But uh, the uh, The Offspring was about a a group of cannibals of like almost. Feral cannibals that that nomadically traveled up and down the eastern seaboard living in the caves off the coastlines then coming out at night to attack tourists and, and eat them and then scurry back into the wilderness where they could not be found into their cave systems And so which is an intriguing concept But the whole project was just done up for the gore and the horror and shit like that and there are, But there I've noticed that there are themes there are themes that catch them constantly repeated in his storytelling the idea of, of this brutal this brutalistic violence against women and this idea and, and it's always misogynistic violence misogynistic in the respect that the women are always the uh, are always viewed narratively as the cause for the violence against them, that they have done something that has elicited this response in the villain itself and it's weird that you brought up natural born killers because there was a lot of attempts to kind of mimic uh oliver stone's cinematography in this yeah. moments that you know like the way the way it was shot it was like is he trying to pull a fucking is Sanderson trying to pull a fucking oliver stone on this one trying to like natural born killers this thing bad bad attempt at that one not yeah. very very good and and the problem is is he wrote it i was talking about the social commentary the social social commentary natural born killers and the cult of celebrity and shit like that really really smart stuff really brilliant uh so and of course brilliant performance as well this one uh did not make use of the talent that it had behind it which is wild because this particular film has Mark Center, who's actually a really really good actor, a- actor Shay Astor, Alex Frost, Michael Bowen, Michael Bowen. you remember from Breaking Bad, he was Uncle Jack on Breaking mm-hmm. Bad, which blew my mind because this was before he lost all the weight to play that role. Fucking Ed Lauder was in this legendary actor. Katie Cassidy was in it. She went on to people should know her from like Arrow and the DC show. She was the uh, the the roller girl uh, waitress at the drive at the at the at the uh, the fast food I, I, place. I haven't seen that show. Uh, D Wallace. Uh, D Wallace was this. We all know D Wallace. Aaron Brown, a.k.a. Misty Monday, who has a long history people in horror and, like, softcore horror know her very, very well. And then, of course, uh, fucking Jack Ketchum himself was in it, and uh, Richard Reel was fucking in it, which he popped up and was like, holy shit, I know him. <laughs> so all of these people in it, all of these talented character actors littered throughout this entire movie, and, uh, oh, even, uh, what was his name? Uh, My name is Earl, the guy who played Crab Man. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I can't remember his name. Uh, Eddie Steeples, Eddie Steeples, in it. You had like talent coming out and kind of like, Flawless <laughs> says D Wallace flirted with Jail at TFW. True story. It it actually is kind of. It true. actually did happen. <laughs> um. So you had talent littered all over the place. Just all of this talent all over the place, and it just descends into this kind of like you know, this gross kind of miasma of violence and misogynistic violence and death with no commentary whatsoever. And Casey Cooper says, as a teenager of the 60s, I'm outraged by the use of Crispian uh, St. Peter, uh, I'm the Pied Piper. The reason they use that is because the killer, the actual serial killer that was based on, uh, this was based on, was I think it was um, the, true, the true story of serial killer Charles Schmidt. Charles Schmid was... Those were called the Pied Piper killings because he had a tendency to find vulnerable girls and get them to follow him. And then they'd follow him and then wind up dead in that respect. So he was called the Pied Piper murders um, in that respect. So that's why uh, they utilized that. So... That was the problem with this one is that there wasn't anything deeper than this it's just an exposition of brutal violence and misogynistic violence of that that kind of made just kind of put me off because there's nothing deeper it's like oh wow i'm watching somebody just go fucking crazy and there's no rhyme or reason to it sure it's gritty and it's brutal it's like yeah we there's horrible things that go on in the world but at least you know there's no attachment there whatsoever because the way because the way the victims are portrayed they're portrayed as harlots they're portrayed as manipulators they're portrayed as bitches you know, we have like but that's narratively done and jack ketchum has got a real had he passed away but jack Ketchum, and i think he when did he pass he passed in 2018 he got a real fucking running theme of that throughout his movies or throughout his his work which i've never really gotten i guess it is appeals he, to a small audience
1: i can even see the same the same here is even when you look at some of like the really really bad ways with bad films like a uh, a silo or the you know, also called the 120 days of Sodom where it's just aristocrats torturing people for the entire movie straight it even has a theme based off even has a theme of how the rich can use the poor for the sheer amusement because there's no punishment that happens at the end the rich get away with it they're just, just right. done like and like then,
0: uh, like zombies 31.
1: yeah you see exactly right. something even that has some kind of theme like. As long as there's a reason, as long as there's a purpose for it, we can get behind the violence. We can get behind the gore. We can get behind the torture. We can get behind this. This is just. I'm watching this. is like it's something like written by Quentin Tarantino. It felt like a bad Quentin Tarantino, a bad Quentin Tarantino film.
0: Right, right.
1: Because even Quentin Tarantino has themes on his films.
0: Just a waste of everything that was in it. There could have been some yeah. depth there, but I mean. It was just like yeah maybe maybe the the their director uh, Chris bit off more than he could chew I'm not 100 percent sure but I didn't see the purpose or point and it wasn't even like accidentally entertaining in that respect it was kind of like oh wow like the actor brought something to it it was kind of like oh huh he's actually got some charm there but um, I will admit it was nice it was kind of nice it's Aaron Brown aka Misty Monday but Aaron Brown is always enjoyable to watch because uh, she's a little uh, she's a little cutie. I've seen way too much for stuff. There's there's a uh, there's a there's a kind of a there's a tapping into the staple of actors that have worked with these with these individuals who have made these Ketchum adaptations. And um, Aaron happens to be one of the, one of them. She was in uh, Sick Girl on uh, Masters of Horror, which is you know with Angela Bettis. Angela Bettis is also connected to that, also connected to the woman. So, but yeah, but you know, unfortunately, all this fucking talent running around didn't didn't use any of it. It's all fucking just paychecks all day long and. I guess maybe this was Chris's attempt to kind of step out as a director. It's like, hey, look, I can direct too. Nah. Nah,
1: I mean, nah. I think I think sarcasm here hits the, hits the nail, where it's, it almost seems like the film was made for incel Andrew Tate. Right, nails. yeah. People like, were just he, mad he, at women.
0: It was, it's so easy to fall on that term, to be like, he's just an incel bitch. And, but you know, it's, it's easy to fall on that and just kind of like, yo, know, like just to cast off the character, like from a narrative perspective, but yeah. And no, right the last name, I couldn't find any deep class, li, <laughs> classical literature symbolism in this one. There wasn't any. There's not meant to be any. Not even accidentally, So, yeah. but nonetheless.
1: so There wasn't yeah. much
0: to say on this one. I mean, Jack, a, Jack Ketchum was a prolific writer, and his, a lot of his works have been adapted. So some of his stuff was good. Some, some of, I mean, it's good stuff. But he's got some themes that I think that boy, that boy had, some, had some troubles.
1: I, I don't know. Some girl broke his heart or something. Oh, oh was yeah. it Raven Darkstar? Well, mommy, she dumped me, so kill her
0: kind Pretty of much, thing.
1: Yeah. Instead of using that for something positive, like, hey, write music or turn that around to an awesome career. No, he just wants to stay mad at that.
0: Yeah, just pissed off. <laughs> yeah, well, That's it.
1: But so I want to actually, I want to ask the audience: What do you believe is the best Jack Ketchum adaptation? There has been several of them, um, but what do you feel is the best Jack Ketchum adaptation? Let us know in the comments below or shoot us an email at weekendhor at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, I guess it's about that time. It's you know trivia time. It- <laughs> Hats off to our good man, uh, Alex, for giving us, uh, for inspiring that. But yes, it is uh, trivia time. So get those Google fingers ready. The first person in the live chat to get the correct answer to this question will get a mystery prize from the Weekend Horror store. All it, we have added a bunch of stuff. To uh, our merchandise store. Check that out. The link is in the description below. But if you want to win something for free as as a mystery item, a special gift, we will choose what you get. Uh, Be the first person to get the correct answer to this question in the live chat below. So get those fingers ready. You got the live chat up? I have it up right now. Awesome. So tonight's trivia question is who is Chris Siverston's longtime horror collaborator who has also adapted the works of Jack Ketchum to film Who is Chris Iversen's longtime horror collaborator who has also adapted the works of Jack Ketchum to film Be the first person in the live chat with that correct answer and you win a mystery prize from the Weekend Horror Store hmm. Yeah, there's slightly extra delay there. That's true. Trivia, trivia. Tri- tri- oh, tri- yeah. Guess. Zip line. No, it's a zipline. <laughs> Pl- Plot says Batman is the answer. Not Batman. Fortunately, well, <laughs> that'd be kind of
1: funny if it was. I'm still waiting for somebody to guess it before you even say it. Because I it's know, right? happen at some point. It may take another five years. <laughs>
0: Tony Rasheed says Woody Allen. No, nope. although uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's kind of okay. funny. Oh, <laughs> there we
1: go. We have it.
0: Yes, Travis yes, Brown, Travis is, Brown. Cor- is correct. Travis Brown got it with Lucky McKee. Lucky McKee has uh, adapted several works from Jack Ketchum and most notably he adapted The Woman and which was the sequel to Offspring and of course uh, a number of other projects as well. He's also the mind behind All Cheerleaders Die. Um, Interesting director. I met him once. I met him once very briefly at Texas Frightmare Weekend. I ran into him what I was doing back when I was doing press. For, uh, for another website, and he's kind of a cool guy. You know, kind of like, you know, he's you know, it's like, I got shit I gotta do, I'm busy, he's a busy dude, but you know, he, was, he, was, he just released The Woman that year, and that was you know, an intense fucking film, that really, really was. So, big on the misogynistic violence, as far as movies, yeah, because Lucky McKee was also behind May, so if Lucky McKee did May, May had Angela, May, I hit my mic. May had Angela Bettis. Angela Bettis was in The Woman. Angela Bettis was also in Sick Girl for Masters of Horror, which Lucky McKee directed with Aaron Brown. So we see the connectivity issue. Aaron Brown was in this one. And then of course, it all comes, it's all their stable of actors in that respect. So
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, Travis Brown says, I'm giving my prize to DeNova to cheer him up. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. Awesome. So I will write that down, DeNova. Twenty-eight will get a Week in Horror Mystery Prize. Thank you very much for your generosity. Yeah, Travis. Travis. All right. <laughs> Jamarcus <good>. Russell. <laughs> congratulations again. Uh, con- oh, to Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> uh, congratulations again, uh, Travis Brown and to DeNova28.
1: And that will bring another episode of Week in Horror to a close. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. Join us next week when we look back at the zany horror comedy, Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead, the teenage cautionary tale Terror in The Caretaker, Romero's continuing the Living Dead saga in Diary of the Dead, and the adaptation of Vertigo's comic horror series, Hellblazer, Constantine. That's going to be a fun one. That's going to be a real fun one. For more horror fun, be sure to follow us on all the socials for The Daily Splatter, your daily horror film recommendations. Remember, we're constantly being stalked by the cruelest of faceless slashers, Algorithm, and you can help us defeat it by dropping a comment, liking, subscribing, and smashing that notification bell like a third, like a true third act final girl. Joshua Olsen does all our amazing artwork for the show and his designs are incredible. Hit his store up at www.badsamurai.store. A massive shout out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make Weekend Forward the incredible success it has become. And if you would like and are able to support our production, you can too, by joining and enjoying the tasty benefits of one of our many Patron tiers. But if Patreon is not your favorite stocking method, you can always support us directly through our PayPal links to everything, including our discord community, where you can hang out with us are in the description below. And remember, The goal is global horror domination, and we can't do it without you, our amazing audience. So pretty pleased with the hopes and dreams of indie horror lovers everywhere on top. Go share the absolute fuck out of our little show. Thank you all for being the greatest audience podcast could have. I'm Eugene. I am JL, and we'll see you next week. And as always, stay scared. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>